Have you ever felt really great, gone to an event, and started feeling agitated and distraught for no reason, without explanation, and had to leave and wondered what's wrong with you? Have you ever known things about your friends or family or someone you just met that you have no business knowing, but you just knew it and you didn't know how you knew it? Or maybe you struggled with mood swings that aren't explained by what you've been going through and feeling in your life and sometimes you even think you're crazy? Well, if this is the case, then this episode is for you. You just might be an empath if any of these are true. So you'll be joining in good company like me and my guest today, Jen, who is the best-selling author of Empathic Mastery by system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. So listen in as Jen spells it out for you. Are you an empath or not? And if you are, you're feeling like a hot mess, what you can do to get control of yourself. This episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio is brought to you by The Shine Shake. Breakfast replacement shake and delicious vanilla latte flavor, 18 grams of a vegan clean protein, 81 grams of clean caffeine from a Kona green coffee bean with nutrients to help you balance, detoxify, and nutrify your body so that you can lose weight, regain energy, and improve your health overall. Available at KieranDunstonMD.com. And now, free samples are available. Hey, it's Dr. Karen here for another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Today, my guest is Jennifer Moore. She is a master EFT trainer, mentor, and coach who guides women on their paths to opening their empathic gifts. She's the best-selling author of Empathic Mastery, a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. She's here today to help us understand why you may be empathic, most of us are, and you may not even know it. Maybe it's the answer to some issues you're, you've been having. So listen up and please help me welcome Jen. Welcome, Jen. So glad to have you here today. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm so glad to be here. So to start off, we're going to get into your wonderful book, but I want to start off, if you can share with everyone, how you came to be kind of an empathic and EFT master. What was your path? Oh, my path is a, an extremely convoluted and checkered path. So I will try to keep it short and sweet. I was one of those people who was born highly sensitive and empathic. I was constantly picking up on all of the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the stress that was going on in the world around me. And so even as a very small child, I was being told, you're too sensitive, you're overreacting, you're taking it too seriously, you're taking it too personally, just let it go, you've got an overactive imagination. And I know from having spoken to so many thousands of empathic women that this is something that many of us hear. Mm -hmm. So from the age of about 23 on, mm -hmm. I started looking for solutions. And EFT became the most effective tool that I've ever found. And empathic mastery is in many ways a 35-year journey to really understanding what works for those of us who are highly sensitive and empathic. Because in my experience, 
and in the experience of many of the people I've spoken to, a lot of the solutions that are kind of out there, like, oh, just send it love and light, put up a bubble of light, you know, just let it go. These things may work for ordinary people, but people who are really sensitive, these mm. solutions do not work. And if anything, they make us feel more alone, more lost, more confused, and way more alienated. And recently, I've been hearing people talk about this idea of almost empathic shaming, like this idea there's something wrong with you if you can't just get over it or let it go. And so I wrote this book because I know what it feels like to struggle and suffer. And I've seen so many other people struggle and suffer that I wanted to offer a solution that I found that really works for me. Awesome. So let's back up for a second because there's some people who might be listening who are saying, what, what is an empath? I don't even know what that is. So let's cover that for them so they know what we're talking about. We're all on the same page. Absolutely. So empath is a word that started to make the rounds in the science fiction world back in the late 50s, early 60s, and then sort of took off in the 70s. And it was this sort of mythical creature who had the ability to pick up on and feel as well as think and experience the thoughts, the feelings, the sensation, the pain, the energy, the distress of the people, the animals, all living things, even the planet around them. And at first, this was a fictional construct. But what started to happen was that as this science fiction construct started to expand into our collective consciousness, a number of people started to go, wait a second, that's what I am. And so the difference between, from my perspective, empathy versus being empathic or an empath is that to have empathy is the ability to imagine ourselves in another person's shoes, to be able to experience love, compassion, and understanding for what they are going through. But there's still a degree of understanding that we're imagining what that other person's experience is, as opposed to we are experiencing it. Mm. Whereas being highly sensitive and empathic, and particularly an empath, means that we feel what is going on in the world around us as if it is our own emotion. And what is very challenging for most people who are highly sensitive and empathic is that it can be almost impossible before we have tools to be able to recognize what's ours and what's not ours. And especially living in a culture that, in my personal opinion, is kind of emotionally illiterate, we spend a lot of time being blamed for feeling intensely and also <laughs> trying to fix a problem that is actually not even our own. Right. I love that explanation. That's very clear. Thank you. And uh, I, I really think that we are all intuitive or empathic to a certain degree, but that we're not, it's not fostered as a skill when we're younger. And so we cut it off. And 
I love the menopause because really while when the body's energy shifts from going to making babies and reproduction, it can go to the higher energy centers in the body and you can really expand into that empathic time. And I think that it's a skill that everyone can tune into and learn. Some of us are probably more innately empathic than others. And I know for me, it's something that I've experienced my whole life, but I didn't have words for it and I didn't know what it was that I do take on the emotions of people around me. And, and now it's funny because now that I know that, if I start feeling kind of funky, I can really step back like you talk about in your book and say, hmm, is this even mine? Right, right. Because <laughs> a lot of times it's not. So how does somebody start tuning into their empathic capacities and start realizing or start realizing that they're feeling emotions that aren't really their own? How do right. they know that? Well, I think the first step is even recognizing that we're experiencing emotions and that we are in a state of distress. And some of this comes from mindful awareness of what we are feeling and the fact that we are feeling. And as you were saying, we are taught at such an early age in this culture to shut down our feelings. There is so much societal pressure to just kind of, you know, be sort of like nothing to see here, don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, just keep on walking that I think that the first step to coming into our empathic awareness lies in even being able to identify and recognize that we are feeling feelings. And so before we can even ask ourselves the question, is this mine or is this somebody else's, mm -hmm. we first even have to just recognize that we're in a state of some kind of unusual emotion, whether it's distress or anxiousness or sadness or even a sense of elation or awe, just mm -hmm. noticing that we're not necessarily at our baseline. And so, unfortunately, we live in a society that, that really doesn't teach us even how to recognize we're feeling feelings. You know, we're taught at such an early age. I mean, think about babies are handed, a baby cries and a baby is handled a, handed a bottle, you check their poop, you know, check for a poopy diaper, you know, all of these things to be like, oh, this person's in a state of distress, what can I do to alleviate it immediately? Mm -hmm. And so I think that very much the very, very first step of empathic mastery is just being comfortable with our own feelings and emotions. Yes, it's yes. so true. Um, and even when I work with women on improving their health, one of the things that I have to get them to do is attune to their feelings because part of being unhealthy is that you weren't, you're not paying attention to how you feel because by the time you get so sick that you're working with me, there were a whole lot of pebbles before that rock or boulder cane that you didn't listen to. And so really feeling what those feelings are. And like, there's a reason that you're feeling like, I can't stand my job, I gotta quit. There's a reason that you feel like, you know, my relationship is, I really don't wanna go home and, at night because it's, it's miserable and I don't know what to do about it. So really getting in touch with those feelings, I know that sometimes when I really started working with this myself, it would feel like the world was going to come to an end when a feeling was coming. It's like, oh my God, here comes a feeling. 
<laughs> what I, am I gonna do? Shut it down, shut it down. But you learn how to allow it. And then, and that feeling, you know, if you're listening, emotions, E, energy in motion, needs to move through your body. Otherwise it gets stuck and constipated and congested. And those blockages are energetic blockages that cause physical maladies. And so I really try to educate people that that's the case. And I know that you work with EFT to help mm -hmm. them start relieving some of those blocks. There's so much we got to talk about. I know. <laughs> and I'm probably getting ahead of myself. Well, and you but, and I are so on the same page with this, like so completely yeah. on the same page with this. And one of the things that I that I've noticed is that I really believe that we can set boundaries and limits and follow the flow of our life in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. And what I've noticed is that self-soothing behaviors, food, food addiction, sometimes substance abuse, um, Netflix watching, and physical health issues are often the body and the spirit's way of saying, this is no longer working for me. When we don't honor the fact that a relationship is not serving us, when we don't honor the fact that we're in a job that we absolutely hate, that's soul-sucking, then it shows up in our body and it shows up in our subconscious or unconscious behaviors. Right. So yeah. true. So true. And so everybody listening... Um, I want you to just take it on faith for while we're talking, while you're listening to me and Jen talking, that you are empathic. You have the ability to feel other people's feelings and that probably some of what you're going through is not your feelings, but others. Mm -hmm. And if you've fe been feeling particularly anxious or sad or distressed or in any of these negative emotions, Let's entertain while Jen and I are talking that maybe this isn't yours. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're going to talk about, she talks about the different steps that you can go through um, to really sort this out and help handle it. So do you want to get into that? Certainly. I would love, love, love to get into that. So as okay. you and I were talking, we were discussing the fact that that um, the first step is recognize. And so within the empathic mastery system, what I found was that first we just have to recognize that we're feeling feelings, that we are experiencing something, and, and that chances are we can be picking up on feelings that are not just our own, that we can be experiencing things that are being amplified by other people. And one thing I want to say is that in my experience, one of the dead giveaways that you've taken on somebody else's stuff is that if you are, you were completely fine before you had a certain encounter, and then you say, go into a board meeting, or you go to the grocery store, or you get a phone call from your Debbie Downer sister or friend, and you feel lousy after that, it's very likely that you took on stuff that was coming from the other person and it wasn't, it isn't just your own. So a, a really strong indication that something is happening that's not about you is that sort of pivot from I was just coasting along, I was feeling completely fine, everything was groovy, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. I have these feelings of anxiousness or I have these feelings of mm -hmm. sadness or I have these feelings of anger. And so just recognizing that. 
And I'll give an example of something that I've noticed is that at certain kinds of um, retreats and conventions with large groups of people, mm-hmm. suddenly I will go from feeling sparkly and shiny and confident to suddenly feeling incredibly insecure and competitive. And it dawned on me after I'd been at a number of these events that at certain kinds of events where people are really stretching outside of their comfort zone, there is a lot of self-doubt. And when you're in a room of, say, 100 or 200 or 500 people who are all being pushed to look at their stuff, it can bring things up. And so that, that's an example of being in a space where suddenly the over, you know, sort of the collective in the room is impacting the way I'm feeling. So, yeah. so recognize is the first step. And from that recognized, then we can move into the next four steps. And I'll just briefly say that the four steps after that are release, which has to do with being able to let go of the stuff that isn't ours and that is no longer serving us. Then we go to protect because in order to effectively protect ourselves, we have to be clear of the things we've been carrying around. Mm -hmm. And the way I liken it is to two things. One is you can't just pull a shower curtain around dirty, you know, a bathtub filled with dirty bath water and think it's going to be okay. You know, you've got to drain the bathtub first. Or if you're as much of a fan of cast iron frying pans as I am, you got to clean the cast iron frying pan before you season it again. Otherwise, you're just going to be putting a layer of protection over a lot of really grody stuff. Uh And so protection comes after we've recognized and released. And protection is both about strategic boundaries. It's about recognizing what works and what doesn't work for us and having policies and strategies set up to take care of ourselves, as Mm -hmm. well as working with energetic boundaries that have to do with what some people call the energy body and creating more resilience and 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 flexibility to sort of the outer eggshell of of our energy body mm-hmm. and then because the universe pours a vacuum in order to not just get back into taking on all the stuff that everybody else is you know is is feeling in the world we must create we must tune into something different and so connect is the fourth step which has to do with cultivating a relationship with positive energy now for me that's divine source that is is god goddess like the power that is far greater than me but it can be somebody what however somebody defines the force, the source, you know, their higher power, that's what connect is about. And then the final step is act, because in order for us to sustain a whole new lifestyle, we actually need to act in whole new ways. So yes, we do need to act in in new ways. And that's one of the tenets that I teach people about in my programs is you got to act as if until it is. Mm -hmm. And so just take different actions. But I love that. Recognize, release, protect, connect, act. Yes. So let's kind of go through these. Um, I just want to give people another little idea of some things that happened to me that maybe they might recognize and say, aha, this Mm -hmm. might be me before we go into this. So a few things, experiences I'll have is that I know things about people that I have no reason to know. 
Um, I met a woman once when I was doing my Reiki training years ago, and we were just doing Reiki on each other, and I sensed that she had, of course, I'm an OBGYN, but I sensed that she had an ovarian problem, that she had an infection in her tubes and ovaries. I never met this woman before, and I said to myself, oh, I'm just thinking that because I'm a gynecologist. But she came to me as a patient a couple years later, and boy, did she have a raging infection in her tubes and ovaries. Mm. And um, so I, I now, that was at the beginning of when I was starting to really get that I'm very empathic. And then the other thing that'll happen to me is I'll be with people, and I get this scramble brain, I call it. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, my brain waves are very jagged, and I can't focus. I guess there is an anxiety to it, too, and something's very wrong, but there was nothing wrong with me before I came to be yes. with these people, Yes, and that happened to me at a retreat like you talked about, that it was a meditation retreat where I usually feel very relaxed. I had been there several times before, but I got this ooh, scramble going on, and it took me a, a little while to figure it out, but there was something going on with the people leading the retreat interpersonally that they weren't talking about, but they were feeling. But because they weren't talking about it, those feelings were radiating out, and I was picking them up. And so if you're listening and you that ever happens to you, that like, like Jen said, you're perfectly fine, but then you're with some people, and then it's not anything that they're saying or doing, but it's this energetic way that it, it enters you, and you take on those feelings, um, and then that this might be you. So, But let's get into it. Let's yeah, and I could not describe oh. either of those scenarios any better. I mean, oh, okay. it's, that, it's that you put your hand on somebody, and you just know. I had a situation where I was talking with a friend a number of years ago and she called me and something was going on with her dog. And I just was like, oh, like I knew it was very serious. And instead of just saying, oh, I don't think it's a big deal. I was like, I think you need to get your dog to the vet immediately. And it turned out that she had this weird um, like hemolytic anemia that if we had not gotten her to the vet instantly, she would have died that day. And it's just that, and so there is just that knowing that I think comes with the development of our intuition. And I actually want to say something that goes back to talking about the distinction between being empathic and being intuitive, in that when we are empathic, a lot of times we're so immersed in the experience that there, is, there can be this way that we don't have access to the, to the discernment we need to recognize things. Whereas when we are more in our intuition, we have this capacity to discern and sort of understand and know the things that we shouldn't necessarily understand and know. So the first example that you were talking about, mm-hmm. where you, were, you just had your hands on this woman and you knew she had these, this whole reproductive system infection going on, that would be your intuition. Whereas the second one, where you were in the uh. gathering, and you're feeling incredibly agitated and distressed that is your is being empathic where you're feeling it and i i want to say before we jump into sort of more of the details 
that one of the things that I've noticed that can be absolutely maddening for those of us who are highly sensitive and empathic is that uh -huh. just because we're feeling it doesn't mean somebody's going to cop to actually what there's, is going on. So uh -huh. like, you know, that example of there was the conflict going on at that, at that retreat it's like they could have easily denied what was happening and then you're in this place where you're like, why am I feeling this way? And if we live in, when we're around people who are particularly invested in not dealing with their own shadow or their own it, mm -hmm. deeper, harder emotions, right. empath can be the canary in the coal mine who is sensing things that are going on but when we call it out, we get nothing but anger back or denial or invalidation because in order for that person to support or validate what we're picking up on, they would actually have to own their feelings. And, and so that's another piece of what I consider sort of the vicious cycle of being the empath in the family system because a lot of times we're the ones who are acknowledging everything that's being buried underneath the surface well and it gets down to being the scapegoat in the family is usually the most sensitive person who sees and feels things that is the truth teller and then becomes the lightning rod for everything that other people don't want to look at which i know we're both interested in the aces and adverse childhood events and so this is why i'm so interested in this because i was that role in my family were you Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and I, I it, what's interesting in my family is that I am a double sided adult grandchild of alcoholics that um, I come from two lines, both sides had dysfunction in the previous generation. Mm -hmm. And my parents made the decision that they were going to nip that behavior in the bud. So I come from a family, both parents are adult children of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And what so I did not grow up in the the quote dysfunctional abusive environment that I would have if I'd been raised by alcoholic parents. But I grew up with the hypervigilance. I grew up with the anxiousness. I grew up with the, what I call world-class awfulizing. And I grew up with all of the behaviors without the alcohol. And so, and I was absolutely the person who felt, had all the feels and who expressed the emotions for the family. I was also though, raised in a family where my mother is a very high strung, very emotional person and definitely very good at awfulizing. Mm -hmm. And so I was raised in a family where emotions took precedence over everything else. And if, in a way it was like when an emotion was present, it drowned out everything else in the world. So instead of emotions just being something you've moved with or flowed with, the emotion, it was like stop the world, like staple hand to forehead, stop the world, I'm having a feeling. That it was like it became this huge thing anytime mm -hmm. there was a feeling. And as the empath, I was processing my feelings and everybody else's feelings as well as the resistance to the fact that there were such intense feelings. Right. Instead of cultivating mindful capacity to just be like, oh, I'm having a feeling. Let's let it flow. Yeah. So it's like 
emotion overload and if you're listening and you can relate to any of the things that Jen and I are talking about um, from your childhood from your family of origin then we're talking to you yes. <laughs> and so I love your book because it really is very clear on steps you can take concrete actions to really like you say go from emotional hot mess to thriving mm -hmm. success I love it and so let's get into the steps and give people some practical tools that they can start using. Yes, absolutely. So as we, I, we were speaking about the idea of recognize. So the first step is recognize. And there are so many different aspects to recognize because a lot of it starts with just acknowledgement and acknowledging that we're having a feeling. But then there are the questions we can start asking about, is this mine? Is this somebody else's? Is this something that's coming from a trigger within me that is about something that happened in the past? Is this that I'm sensing something coming from the future? Because I believe that we, that the, that, that I personally believe when, within the concept of quantum physics, that time is a construct, but that there is a part of us that is capable of experiencing things from both the past and the present and the future. And that when an event is very significant, it has a tendency to ripple back, back and forward. So when something's really intense, you know, like before 9-11, for example, I was in a state of deep distress for a couple weeks before, prior to the event. Mm -hmm. And when there was the shooting at the Pulse nightclub a couple years ago, I was a hot mess for weeks before that happened. And then finally it happened and I went, oh, yeah, that's what I was feeling. Wow. So part of it is just really getting into where is this coming from? What is this about? Simultaneously to being able to be okay about the fact that we're feeling feelings. And then with release, release can be as simple as decluttering. You know, it can be as simple as going into your closet and getting rid of the stuff that no longer serves you. It mm -hmm. can be going into your refrigerator and getting rid of the old food. It can also be using breath and sort of inhaling calmness and peace mm -hmm. and exhaling any tension or worry. And one of my favorite tools of all is using EFT, emotional mm -hmm. freedom techniques, or also known sort of as the umbrella term for it is tapping. That, in my experience, is one of the most effective ways to release emotional distress, to release past memories, to release triggers, to release physical pain and sensations in our body. So that is kind of my go-to tool in general for when mm -hmm. it comes to release. But there are other, you know, there's movement, there's breath work, there's mm -hmm. housekeeping, there's all kinds of, there's taking a bath, there's all kinds of ways to do the release work. Then in terms of protect, as I was saying before, when it comes to protect, there's the strategic aspects of protection, there's the reevaluating our relationships, there's things like policies like you know, something as basic as turn your notifications off of your computer and your phone so that your phone is not blowing up with just ridiculousness 24-7 where you're seeing everything that everybody is putting on social media, you know, and like being mindful of if you and I are like right now as you and I are doing this interview, my phone is on airport mode so that I'm not worrying about all kinds of information coming in. So 
the first step of protection is really about our boundaries and about what we will tolerate, what we will not tolerate. And having the willingness to own our behavior and Mm -hmm. recognize when we are getting sucked into things like people-pleasing and overgiving and you know, excessive caretaking. Mm -hmm. So that is the first level of protection. And then the second level of protection has to do with actually really reinforcing or building sometimes for the first time in our entire life, protective and effective filters and shields in our energy body. Mm -hmm. And some people are born with very limited to none filters and shields. Some people have them worn down because of their very, very adverse childhood experience, you know, early life. And so there's just, they don't have the, they're just constantly getting kind of abraded or irritated to the point where they just cannot protect themselves. So in many cases, we must restore the filter, restore or install effective filters and shields that will keep us safer and more resilient. And for some of us, it's the first time in our life that we've ever even had these things. And this is why I personally believe that the whole just put a bubble of light up around it does not work when somebody has mm-hmm. never had effective filters and shields. And right. So- Let's- Let's talk about this a little bit. So um, is it Donna Eden's book on energy medicine? Was, it, was that her name, the author? Yes, Donna Eden yes. wrote Ener- Energy Medicine. Right, and, then- and so she talked in there about zipping up your energy. And so for everyone listening, you hear me talk about the energy body. That's what we're talking about, this body that's bigger than your physical body that really runs through your body, that animates it and enlightens it, enlightens it. You, what Jen is talking about is protecting that, just like you protect your house with a door that locks, mm-hmm. just like you protect your body by putting clothes on before you go outside, just like you drive in a car that has walls on it, you don't just, or you choose to ride a motorcycle, which has none. Uh, we're talking about protecting that energy body so that energy insults can't hurt it by being empathic. And so what are some tools that you tell people to use there? So uh, what I personally discovered a long time ago is that one of the major keys to being able to really protect our energy body is using a conscious, using conscious breath. And that in order to you in order to actually really restore and rebuild our filters and shields and create that protective shell outside or you know kind of membrane on the outside of all of it it is not it is not effective to simply visualize we need to use our breath and the word there are many in many cultures the relationship between the word breath and spirit are interconnected. Mm -hmm. Our ability to breathe is directly connected to our ability to receive as well as our ability to let go. And also our ability to tap into the universal source. And so when we use our breath to deliberately draw energy, I draw the energy from the heart of the earth up into my body Mm 
send it all the way up to the sky. And then I draw the energy from the sky down through my body and back into the heart of the earth. And then as I ex, so I inhale that through me. And then as I exhale, I exhale this sort of cocoon of light around me. Mm-hmm. And the way that I envision the energy body is that in many ways, it looks a lot like an egg. There is the yolk, which is the core of light that is infusing our entire physical body that usually sort of has its very, very center in the heart, you know, sort of running through, running down the, running down our entire spinal, our entire column, going through all of what people call the chakras, but especially often sort of meeting in the heart center as the place where the origin is. And then in the same way that an egg has a yolk, has the yolk, but then the egg white, then there's this sort of larger section of sort of what I consider the filter that is designed to keep the, the negativity from, you know, from, from assaulting our heart and assaulting our light body, that that filter is there to kind of protect and sort of keep things keep things like like filter them out as it were but then beyond that even like if you think of with an egg there's that little tiny membrane that exists outside of the filter of the of the white so there's that membrane that exists outside of that that's acting as an additional filter and really is saying this can come in this cannot come in so it's permeable but it's distinguishing what's okay what's not okay and then past that we have the egg shell which I consider sort of the energy shield. And when it is healthy and effective, that external shield keeps us from being, will really act as the first line of defense that keeps stuff from coming through. Mm -hmm. But what I have found is that for so many of us who are highly sensitive and empathic, it's either we grew up in a family where our boundaries were never respected. So it's kind of like that shell just got shattered. Or in some cases, we come from generations of sensitives where we have a very poorly developed shell. And so how can people start to rebuild that with the breath and with intention and with, with visualization? With breath, with intention, with visualization, and the reason it, but the reason it's the third step is that if we have not dealt with releasing the distress within our bodies, Mm -hmm. then no amount of putting up a ball of light is going to cut it. Because Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, I sort of think of it as like if you had, uh, if you had a container filled with really, really um, corrosive like lacquer thinner or something Mm -hmm. and the kind that would like vaporize and and like even the fumes could cause something to kind of erode if you're dealing with really intense negativity that negativity is going to have a way of causing our filters and shields to be weakened from the inside out so Mm -hmm. this is why i talk about how imperative it is that we reset the amygdala, the part of our brain that controls fight or flight, that we unwind our extremely distressed nervous system and we give our bodies the opportunity to release all of those places where we've been clutching and holding on to distress Mm -hmm. for our entire life. 
and that we can start working on the idea of building up that protective filter and shield and it's a cumulative process but we must constantly be doing the proper housekeeping in order to protect it to get everything out and so that's where EFT comes in and we did talk on one episode briefly we went through an EFT tapping sequence I forget what it was related to it might have been about eating um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but how if someone's listening and they want to start using EFT to start clearing out this negative energy can you just take us through um, maybe some statement, statements and sequencing of how we would do that? I would absolutely love to. So okay. in the world of EFT there's a there's a cute little saying because we love rhymes and, and pithy statements in EFT and so one of the statements that I really love which is really helpful is specific is terrific. So instead of necessarily talking about I'm feeling this general anxiety or I'm feeling this general sense of sadness, it can be really helpful to tune into what is as specific about the feeling as possible. Mm -hmm. And what I have noticed is that the body, 9.9 times out of 10, the body will lead us to everything else. That the body always has the answers contained in it. We hold everything in our body. So for example, if we simply acknowledge that we were noticing a feeling and then ask ourselves, where am I feeling this in my body? A lot of times, like I said, I think nine times out of 9.9 .9 times out of 10, there's going to be some kind of a sensation, some kind of a catch, some kind of feeling within a certain part of our body. And so what I like to do is start with just the acknowledgement of the, I have this tightness in my solar plexus or something very, very simple and just following that process. So for example, let's just say that, you know, you'd gone into the grocery store and you came away and you have this tightness in your solar plexus and this sense of sort of just kind of this uneasiness, but it's, it's geared in your solar plexus. Mm -hmm. So what we would do is we would start by tapping on the side of the hand, kind of, it used to be called the karate chop point. And I use the three fingers from my other hand and just tap on the side of my hand. And then what we do is use what's called the setup statement. And I actually, <laughs> I have it tattooed on my hand. I love it that much, which is even though. So even though I'm feeling this, uneasiness in my solar plexus. It feels tight, this tight uneasiness in my solar plexus. And then what we would do is we would choose a positive or a neutral sort of balancing statement. And so instead of the old school Gary Craig statement is I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Right. What I have noticed is that there are a lot of people where that is not true, where that is a stretch. And in order for EFT to work really effectively, it's better to have buy-in than to say what you think you should say. So I, a lot of times, will do something like, even though I'm feeling this, this uneasy tension in my solar plexus, it is what it is. Or I'm just acknowledging it. Or I'm just tapping on it. And I'm okay, you know, I can love myself anyway. Or I'm okay anyway. 
So we're choosing words that work for us, and we do that three times. So even though I'm feeling this sensation in my solar plexus, and I'm feeling this uneasiness, it is what it is. Even though I'm feeling this uneasy sensation in my solar plexus, it is what it is. And then we use just what's called the reminder phrase. We tap on the top of the head. Or some people start at the eyebrows. I like tapping on the top of the head first. It's very, there's no wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. And so then we use the reminder phrase, which would be this uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. And then we go to the eyebrow points, which unless you have a Frida Kahlo unibrow, it's right at the top of your, where your eyebrows start at the bridge, sort of above the bridge of your nose. And you'd say the reminder phrase again, this uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. And then we go to the sides of the eyes, right on the temples. It generally feels really good when you hit the spot. And again, you use the reminder phrase, this uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. Then underneath the eyes, directly on the eye socket, on the bone, underneath your pupils. And this correlates with the stomach points. So for people with digestive distress, this is a great point. And again, we just use the reminder phrase, this uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. The next point is under between the nose and the lip. Some people call it the cupid's bow. Tapping on that, this uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. Then be, between the lip and the chin, this uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. Then the collarbone points, you can kind of tap around until you find the point where it is, it just sort of clicks. You know, like I find, and that's in general true when you're finding your tapping points is that you can find sort of a place where it sort of just feels a little bit more right. So this e uneasy feeling in my solar plexus. And then finally, directly under your armpit, parallel to your, kind of parallel to your nipple is the, and sort of, but on the rib cage, past your breast tissue is the, on, on, you know, the point under your arm. And again, reminder phrase, this uneasy. I do mine like muscle. this, like a chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do the funky chicken. I do yeah. the funky chicken. <laughs> and then top of the head. Again, back to the top of the head. And then we just take a deep breath. And even that one round of tapping through the sensation will start to calm down our nervous system and gives our body the opportunity to get out of fight or flight mode. Yes, and for everyone listening, these are acupuncture points, but you don't have to stick a needle in them mm. to get an effect. You can tap on them. Yes. Um, this is why foot reflexology works. It's why... Um, hand massage and reflexology works and this is documented to help decrease the fight or flight response which is associated with almost all negative emotions i love to use this uh, tapping for my people to who are craving foods that's one yes. of the big places but it's great for like you're talking about if you're having these uneasy feelings to help to digest them and I think you go through this in detail in your book. 
I do. I go into great detail in the book because it is such a powerful tool. And it's ironic you keep talking about tapping for food cravings because I had yeah. just done a, a like a VIP extra long session with a client earlier today, specifically tapping on food cravings. And, you know, the beauty of tapping on food cravings is that unlike so many of the ways we relate to food in this culture as women is sort of this idea of good foods and bad foods and depriving and, and like we get into this willful deprivation. Mm -hmm. The beauty of tapping on food cravings is that it has a tendency to just kind of lift the desire away to the point where we just cease to care about the food that used to yank our chain. Yeah. And I was working with a client on cheese cravings earlier. And the thing was, I used to be um, a very devoted to cheese kind of person. And a number of years ago, I had actually recorded a little tapping video on the power of cheese. And what I noticed was I didn't consciously go back into this idea of I have to work on my cheese craving. I just did the video, walked away from it, let it go. And it was, it was a while later where I suddenly realized that the sway that cheese had held over me for my entire life had just lifted. And now, like, we have a package of cheese crisps in the house that I think like, you know, those, those paleo cheese crisps that they, you know, put on the cookie sheet and just dehydrate or they bake we've had it for like six months and neither my husband or I have finished them just because we really don't care. Uh -huh. So that's one of the things I love about tapping for food cravings is that it is a way to get relief in a way that doesn't feel like deprivation. Yes. I love that too. Um, and that's why I use it in my programs. It's, it's yes. such a key uh, part of them. Yes. And so there's so much in this book. It is jam packed. It is jam packed. Yes. Tools and techniques. So we don't have time to go through no. all of them. I think we've touched on the five steps, the next two, the last mm -hmm. two were connect and act. And we talked about those briefly. Yes. Um, I did want to mention because I'm really focusing on menopause. Um, yes, please. Two months that um, it, it what do you think is special about the time of menopause in terms of our empathic abilities? So I actually would say that I think menopause is the point where we start pivoting from being empathic and being in that immersion in the emotional soup to being intuitive and having discernment. Mm -hmm. And before I started the journey of menopause, like that, you know, maybe 15 years ago, I remember meeting women who were in their mid 50s who said, your 50s are awesome because you stop caring. <laughs> and so one of the things that I think happens for us is where we go from the childbearing years and the caretaking protective years where we're so wired to worry about everybody else to as menopause comes along, we reach a point where we really start giving zero Fs about things where we're able to let go. And yes, I, and so what I have found is that that ability to stop caring about what other people think about us, caring about how somebody's going to figure everything out, and I'm stepping away from being in the rescue zone, 
that allows us an ability to detach emotionally that then gives us the capacity to practice discernment. And that in turn allows us to have way more clarity than we do when we are younger and we are so much more invested and immersed in the whole sort of like relationship emotional soup. Right. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And you've shared so many wonderful things. If, if someone's listening and they're thinking, hmm, they might be talking to me and I need to explore this more, what would the top three take action steps be that you would leave them with? So the top three take action steps would be, I would in, in very much encourage them to check out my book because it really does lay it all out and really breaks it down. Yeah, and the book is called Empathic Mastery. You can get a copy of it at empathicmasterybook.com. And I would say that in many ways, everybody's mileage may vary, but one of the very first steps is just being able to take a beat and pause and recognize that we're having a feeling and then ask ourselves the question, is this mine? Is this not mine? And then another step is to learn to develop tools like EFT, like conscious breathing, even sort of mindful movement, dance, yoga, where we can start to learn how to be present to our feelings and be okay about the fact that we're feeling these feelings. So, and I will give one more sort of bonus suggestion, which is if sugar is a problem for you, which I find is often the case for most highly sensitive empathic people, especially women, then in my personal experience, abstaining from processed sugar and abstaining from excessive carbohydrates in general will stabilize your mood in a way that very few other things will. And until your blood sugar is actually in a state of stasis and evenness, it is all of the inner work you do will only work so effectively. So if you are on the sort of like the sugar blues, like roller coaster, then I would really invite you to look at how could you make a change with your diet so that you're not constantly up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And I personally, what I'll just say is that one of the most significant changes for me was when I, somebody basically said, sugar is a mood-altering substance. It really affects your mind. It really affects your mood. It really affects the way that you are in the world. Stop eating this sugar. Um, nobody had ever told me it was causing my black moods. It was causing my, you know, like con being convinced we were going to hell in a handbasket and the planet was going to end any day at the age of 23. But when I stopped consuming sugar, my black mood lifted substantially. So I really want to encourage or invite people to look at what is their relationship with sugar specifically and carbohydrates more generally, and how is your right. blood sugar contributing to this as well? Well, and I'll just add to that sugar. Uh, there was a study done at Princeton that showed that sugar was 80 times as addictive as cocaine and mm -hmm. if you think of the mood swings of a cocaine addict just think about it for so i second that so that would be the the next suggestion and we're going to need to wrap it up you've shared so much beautiful information 
The name of the podcast is Her Brilliant Health Radio. You certainly exemplify that, Jen. And what does that mean to you? What is Her Brilliant Health? Oh, her Brilliant Health is loving our body, loving ourselves, being present and accepting ourselves as we are, and being in the flow and and then being guided to do the things that support and honor us as opposed to sabotage and derail and you know get us all hitched up and confused and so i believe her brilliant health starts from self love and from the willingness to do the things that are truly loving and nurturing in in contrast to the cheats or the treats or the things that in the old system were rewards, but were ultimately throwing us under the bus. And so it's really about that deep sense of, I love myself enough to do the things that, that really honor my needs and care for me. And I honor my intuition to follow and be in the flow. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that and for the work that you do. I hope everyone will check out Empathic Mastery. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's really helped me and, um, you know, embrace my empathic nature. So many blessings to you. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. It has been such a pleasure.